The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, uh, it is our BDSM panel. So do you think you need a dungeon like the one in Fifty Shades of Grey to practice BDSM? Well, you don't, actually. And our panelists will tell you what you can do. Plus, I'll let you in on a little secret uh, of uh, what most Americans are doing in terms of kink, as well as what's happening in Quebec. Some uh, latest research showing that we are... Probably far kinkier than you uh, probably imagine. But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. If you have any questions, you know you can send them to me at any time uh, by email, Lori at drlaurie.com during the week. I answer questions at the beginning of every show, and I got one uh, just uh, earlier today, uh, actually after I, I think I, I talked about his email uh, last night. By the way, I got your book at the very beginning, and you signed it for me. My fiancé and I, uh, we both enjoy it very much. Sometimes when I have very specific questions, you can explain it very well on the radio, and we both can listen to it. Um, I also have some comments regarding a curved penis. You were right. We t- there was a question about that last night. They have to find the right position. I myself have a curved up one, and I find it very enjoyable in the doggy style uh, position. So thank you for sharing. Uh, let's see. I've got some questions, by the way. 514 if you have a question right here, right now that you want answered. Uh, Dr. Lori, my husband and I have been in the lifestyle, and in brackets it says, it says bye, for many years. We are secure and love each other. I love being with women when we play. My thought to you is we both enjoy anal play. Recently, he told me he gets a lot of attention to his butt by both sexes. He said it is such a natural act for him, and he may do anal. This, of course, gets me excited, and he said he does not care for any label. We believe in being pansexual. Just for those of you who don't know, pansexual is uh, an orientation where you, um, it's not bisexual, it it goes beyond bisexual. So men, women, and other, so can be a, a a transgendered person as well. Uh, He told me his hair cutter said that a woman he is with loves rimming and pegging. My husband told him he enjoys ass play and told him it's great when you accept it. My husband told him it's no big deal, and if he enjoys it, just go with it. There are no labels or shame, just human nature. Is he right to openly discuss with others? So that's the question. It's not about the actual sexual behavior, but talking about uh, what goes on in the bedroom. So, of course, whatever goes on in each of our bedrooms uh, or elsewhere, wherever you want to have sex, uh, can remain as private as you want it to. If you want to share, you share. If you don't, you don't. And if you are uncomfortable with your husband discussing your sexual activity with other people, then you actually, you should tell him. You should tell him that you are uncomfortable with that because... It doesn't just involve him, it involves you. But if you're okay with it, 
there's no right or wrong in terms of uh, discussing sexuality in general. The other thing I would point out too, <coughs> excuse me, is that you can talk openly about sex, but you have to know who your audience is or who your listener is. Is the person listening to you uncomfortable with what what they're saying, with what the person is saying? So you've got to judge, be able to judge your audience. Or are you doing it for shock value? Anyway, basically, it's always best to know your audience before you start talking about things that maybe a little, uh, let's say, on the kinky side or even any kind of sexual talk because not everybody is uh, is comfortable discussing sexuality. Uh, here's another question. I have had prostate cancer uh, surgery. I'm 61 years young. I don't feel like I'm a man anymore. Pills hardly ever work. Uh, it's been four years now. I'm slowly dying on the inside. I have lost my way. First thing I want to say is that a person or a man's sexual ability or a man's erection is not what makes a man a man. That's the first thing. You can also have an orgasm with no ejaculation, by the way, even if you don't have an erection. So that means ultimately you can still feel pleasure. The reason the pills don't work is because this is a nerve thing. It's not a blood flow thing. The pills are there to increase blood flow to the penis to open the blood vessels, but the signal is has to be sent to the nerves. And so there's when the nerves have been severed, as in a, a, a prostatectomy, for example, then uh, it can take years for the nerves to basically regenerate. So What's recommended uh, is that men don't stop their sexual activity after pro- prostate cancer treatment. It's actually part of what we call penile rehabilitation. But you have to have and you have to develop a different attitude uh, when it comes to sex. You have to have uh, uh, very little expectations and you have to look at sexuality beyond intercourse. So you would need to be a little more open to experimentation, see what feels good for you, see what feels good for your partner. Uh, Keeping in mind that pleasuring a partner does not have to involve your penis. You have a hand, you have hands, you have a mouth, you can stimulate your partner that way. You can use a sex toy if your partner likes penetration, for example. What's important is not to let your cancer define you. So uh, these feelings that you have of, of um, uh, let's say, hopelessness, it would be important for you to talk to somebody, to talk to a professional. I mean, it, it, it is normal to grieve the loss of, of, a, of your potency, basically, and to have all kinds of emotions uh, surrounding a cancer diagnosis and treatment. So you need to look for uh, support, maybe through your hospital, ask your doctor, or maybe even uh, groups online. There are... Uh, thousands, if not millions of men who have gone through what you've gone through and you can find uh, support there. Uh, Two questions here on the text board. Why can women have multiple orgasms and men can't? Um, Okay, so uh, apparently uh, men can have multiple orgasms. It's just very different. The, The difference is that men have 
what's called a refractory period. Uh, and as you get older, this refractory period gets longer. And that's the period that you need. It's like the rest, the rest you need in between to have another ejaculation. Um, but men who practice tantric sex, for example, learn to prolong the arousal and may experience the feeling of orgasm without the ejaculation. And so that would be what the multiple orgasm would feel like uh, for men. Second question is asked of me. You are a big proponent of BDSM and LGBT, etc. I'm not sure I like the word uh, I'm a big proponent. I talk about it because it's part of uh, sexuality and I'm, I do it without judgment. That's different than proponent of something. Uh, at what point is the person suffering from a psychiatric or psychological disorder? Um, I know that playing like a dog is still within your acceptance of norm. At what point should the person be treated? So a person, when it comes to sexuality, that's a, a rather a good question. But when it comes to sexuality, it isn't a sexual disorder unless somebody, uh, well, unless they're doing something uh, illegal, okay, or non-consensual, that's something uh, different. But if they're not distressed by their behavior and they're practicing this in a safe, consensual manner, then it is not a psychiatric or psychological disorder. And there have been studies that have looked at people who are, uh, who engage in kinky behavior and have not found that they are more damaged, if you will, than, uh, the norm. So you have to think about that. Um, Anyway, great question. Coming up uh, after we check traffic, we'll get our BDSM panel in here and we'll talk about, do you need a dungeon uh, to uh, practice BDSM? I, I don't think so, apparently. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Tonight on the program, uh, once a month, uh, BDSM. Yes, we talk kinky sex with our panelists. We have Pierre and Catherine of BDSMcircle.com, along with Dane Stewart, who is an advocate and playwright and manages Montreal's pop group Woof MTL. We'll find out what that's all about as well. Uh, so for, before I begin the whole show here or this segment, I, I want to just share some uh, statistics that I came across uh, last week that I did share with some of our listeners already, but I wanted to share with you guys and, and get some of your input. And I thought it was really interesting. The headline was, Most Americans Have Tried Unconventional Sex, and it goes on to describe all the different kinds of unconventional sex. But what I picked out was this. By age 50... 40% of Americans have experimented with oral anal uh, sex, sphincter massage, fingering toy insertions, or penis anus intercourse. That's 40% of Americans, whereas there's only, if we look at the uh, gay community, it's 10%, right? So, like, think for a minute. There's not, like, a lot of people is, uh, make the association with anal play as somehow that it's gay. Uh, so that dispels that right there. Uh, approximately 20% of American adults have engaged in consensual non-monogamy, so polyamory, threesome, swinging, group sex. And uh, there were researchers at Indiana University that surveyed over 2,000 American adults and discovered that many enjoyed elements of BDSM. 30% enjoyed spanking. 
Uh, 22% enjoyed dominant uh, submissive role-playing. 20% enjoyed being restrained or restraining. Uh, 13% enjoyed whipping and flogging. And the investigators also found that 43% had played sexually in public. When they looked at fantasies, more than half of Americans admit fantasies involving BDSM. More than half. And yet, when we do this kind of show, we still get, you know, we still get the, the kind of feedback like, this is sick, this is not normal, this is, or that I'm a, somehow a proponent of whatever, right? <laughs> well, uh, it may not be normal for them. Well, that's right. It, what? Well, if, if you don't practice it, then everything else that everybody else does must be not normal. That That's the thinking, right? That's the way m- many people do think. But then there was a Quebec survey, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, they found that over 45% have an interest in at least one type of sexual behavior considered, as they say, anomalous, voyeurism, fetishism, masochism. So what, And one-third of them had experienced the behavior at least once. Mm-hmm. So uh, one-third of Quebecers, 45% are interested. Are we surprised? Well, you're not. You're not. But I'm sharing it for our listeners because it seems like, look, I'm still always, I, I shouldn't really be surprised, but oftentimes when you guys are on the show, we do get those kinds of emails, right? Yeah. And what is surprising is each time I talk to someone who's not BDSM but knows that we are, I'll often, very often they would admit to have tried something or have some liking or interest and they'll share it with you because you share tell it with them me because they know you know, you're open but and this is why i know that there's more people that cares to admit that are interested in this so this is why i find this funny uh, what you do know? you think dane of these kinds of statistics well i'm not surprised by them and i think that it's it comes back to how we Uh, are trained to perceive BDSM, to perceive kink. When you hear the term BDSM, automatically your brain goes to that vision of the the dark dungeon with all of the whips and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, at its core, BDSM doesn't have to be that. And and kinky sex practices don't have to be that that dark dungeon sort of thing. You can uh, engage in kinky behaviors and kinky sex uh, without, you know, having to go that far down the spectrum. Um, And I think as a society, if we allow ourselves to to think about, uh, you know, practicing kink, about having sex in those alternative ways without having to go necessarily to that extreme, uh, we can probably engage in some some very healthy and fun fun play. It's not even alternative anymore. That's the thing. Like you, you, we talk about alternative play, but now mm-hmm. the alternative is the the extreme stuff, because if half of the population is already thinking, engaging, wanting. That's no longer alternative. Mm-hmm. But we're trained to think of it as alternative, I think. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we're trained to think of, like, normal sex as, uh, you know, heterosexual, you know, penis in the vagina intercourse and anything outside of that. Well, that leaves out a lot of people. It leaves out so <laughs> much. So much. Like Dane San, says, uh, many people who think about BDSM, they think about the dark dungeon and stuff like this. But many people do BDSM. That is that does not use uh, pain or restraint because mm-hmm. BDSM is something else too. There's the exchange of power. We can think about people who do the uh, the schoolgirl and daddy type of situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, 
I mean, Bediasam could be is is quite wide, and it could be a lot of things. Or could be like the master and 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 the pop play. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Again, that's a a, sen- a scene. It's a scenario. It's a scenario, and again, it's built on uh, a power exchange, right? Right. Uh, for a lot of pups, uh, you're the taking on the submissive role. You want someone to give you orders. You want to uh, be controlled. And there are a lot of people who who get off on that kind of power exchange. Exchange of power. Right. And that's really at the base of it all, regardless of how you practice it, like what the what the image is, whether you, you're you a puppy, a baby, a, a schoolgirl, a dominatrix, a whatever whatever it is. It's It's just playing. Mm-hmm. It's playing a role. Yeah, it's playing and it's exchanging power. What do you think? Well, I, I think there's a, a lot of people who do uh, BDSM that don't consider it BDSM because it isn't the dungeon, because it isn't, you know, nobody starts off with the dungeon. You know, you you start off, you know, just the kind of innocuous thing, just, you know, a spanking, you know, no, before you get to the, the you know, the, the more intense scenes. Or the, or the more uh, involved scenes. And uh, it's amazing how many people say, we, you know, we don't do anything like that. We, you know, we have done blindfolds and, and scarves and, oh, yeah, there's that spanking and that, but we wouldn't do BDSM. Right, but it's all, it's all part of it. Actually, the, a texter says it would be interesting to have different proponents of BDSM be interviewed on the show to, to contribute more diverse perspectives. Well, that's one of the reasons we invited Dane on the show because it's a different form of that. We've also had um, – I've had a, a professional dominatrix on the show. We've had mm-hmm. different things. And what I have found is it's really pretty much the same. Like it's not um, – like BDSM well, a lot of is times BDSM. the kind of the it's... social rules have to be the same to make right. it work. So you know it has to be consenting. You have to talk about it. You have to, you know, things like that. And that's no matter what your kink. That's that's kind of something that runs through a successful, healthy relationship or 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 scene even. Right. You well, know. So maybe we occasionally we, we you know maybe we'll bring in people who do maybe practice different things that would would find it interesting. Sure. I don't know what what other avenues or things like I I don't know personally. You're gonna have to bring them to us. <laughs> so many avenues. There's so, so many. Okay, avenues. well let's uh, let's grow this thing. You know, let's uh, let let's try. But I have found that it's true. The rules tend to be the same no matter who I speak to in terms of the the practice of it. Maybe just uh, people's experience of it is different. And one of the reasons why Pierre and Catherine have been here for so long is because they have been in in the this lifestyle for many, many, <laughs> many years, but also because you run a website that connects with so many people and you have run your own uh, community groups, your munches, mm-hmm. where you have met with so many practitioners of BDSM oh. that in my books, you're some of the most experienced in the city. Well, so we certainly, you know, learned in a lot over the years and continue to learn. You know, we're we're still meeting people. There's still people that write us really regularly from the website. <laughs> yes. um, from all over the world. And this is what's so interesting because uh, different values, different people, different background. And for some of them, I remember talking to this lady who's a Muslim. To at some point, she sent us a picture of her without her uh, burqa, mm-hmm. and I realized for her to send a picture of her with her hair was something extremely important for her. 
but for us, it's like, yeah, she has hair. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But that's uh, it, it can be an exchange of power thing. Well, it too, actually right? it There's, wasn't uh, this case, yeah. But it's, right. it, I mean, this is what's so interesting about this. Yeah. Well, we've also had uh, a, a submissive on the program. We've had one of Catherine's submissive. Yes. On the program yes. as well, talking and about we've her had experiences. One of, uh, Pierre and I's together, and we've had um, uh, um, friends, uh, friends that were submissives. Yes, so you know, we we, that, have, we uh, have had a variety of uh, yeah. of different people. Uh, this is an interesting question. They recently have been talking about this whole spanking issue, I guess, on the news. And I wonder if the people that get into spanking were spanked as children. Is there a connection even? I think sometimes <clears throat> there is. Okay. Sometimes there is. It's, it's a, for, you know, people's sexuality and how they get kink or, or how they get kind of like wired the way they get wired is often things that will trigger you know, from their from their youth or their childhood, and although it might not have been sexualized at the at the, at the time, um, as as they get older, it it changes because it's a power dynamic first of all, and it's um, it's stimulating, you know, and there's also kind of a a taboo about it, which is very exciting for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got Pierre and Catherine of BDSMCircle.com. If you are a BDSM practitioner, by the way, we would love your perspective, and uh, we'd love to hear from you, 514-790-0800. Share with us. Share some of your experiences, be it if they're different than what you're hearing here, if they're the same. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So it's an open open call to BDSM practitioners. We also have Dane Stewart, who is a director and playwright. He's an advocate. He manages Montreal's pop group, uh, Woof MTL, which we'll find out about that kind of kink after uh, we check in with our newsroom here on CJD 800. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Tonight we've got our BDSM panel. Uh, We've got Pierre and Catherine of BDSMCircle.com and Dane Stewart, who is a director, playwright, advocate, and manages Montreal's pop group Woof MTL. We'll talk about that, but let me just get to some of your uh, your text. Actually, no. Let's 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 ask uh, Dane about this because there was an earlier text that kind of referred to maybe pop play as possibly like a, psych- a psychological disorder or something. How do you respond to something like that? Well, I work from probably the same definition of like a psychiatric illness as as you do. And Mm -hmm. you were talking about this before, uh, that for uh, an expression of sexuality to be deemed an illness, it either has to be, you know, an illegal or non-consensual behavior, or it has to be... causing distress to the person who is engaging with it or the their the people in their or affecting their life in a negative way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so pop play for me it it definitely doesn't have those negative effects in fact i'd say it's the opposite it has a lot of positive effects on my life Uh, so describe it first for listeners who are just tuning in uh, or have never heard the term pop play and pop as in puppy by Mm -hmm. the way okay like puppy or dog um Human pup play is uh, a form of role play where one person uh, or multiple people can take on the role of uh, a dog, a puppy, a pet, 
uh, in a form of sexual play or in a relationship. Uh, generally, people get pleasure from the exchange of power. So oftentimes a pup will be uh, will act as submissive, will take orders from their, their master or their handler, as we call it. Um, and there's also a big element of play to this. Uh, it's, it's very animalistic. You're letting your instincts take over. Uh, people call it uh, the pup headspace. Um, you're sort of living in the present um, as a dog. And there can be a lot of... Uh, it's almost meditative for a lot of people to get mm-hmm. into that sort of headspace. Um, and for me, it can be, uh, you know, very relaxing and very beneficial uh, as a person who's very anxious in my day-to-day life. Uh, that can be a, a moment a of, uh, of release from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't involve, you know, uh, real dogs. It's, it's just exactly, role play. Right. Nobody's interested um, in having a real dog as a, a, as a sexual partner. Let, let's be exactly. clear about that. Okay. Um, yeah, but uh, it, it is just that, that form of role play and that power exchange and that, that playfulness that comes from that. Um, and, you know, you see a lot of people who engage in other types of role play that might not necessarily be sexual, but are definitely um, pleasurable. Uh, any sort of like Comic-Con where people are doing cosplay, they're dressing up as some other character. Uh, you know, that's that's a fun experience. Like you're just playing around and you're having fun. And I right. think people often think that like uh, some sort of sexual play can't have that element of play or that element of fun to it um but at its heart like pup play is uh, there's a lot of that to it it doesn't necessarily have to be about the sex and you brought up a good term called cosplay which is costume play basically Mm -hmm. and can can involve elements of sexuality or not Mm -hmm. right and it's it's uh, people putting on roles is basically what it's all about a lot of people who dress in cosplay actually when you look carefully they use bdsm element too they would Mm -hmm. have a collar they would have a cuff or corsets it, yeah, mm-hmm. very nice for us. <laughs> well, for for yes, for practice. There's, just, I think the bottom line is there's different ways of practicing. Is is mm-hmm. really what we're, uh, what we're learning here tonight. Uh, this texture writes: Having started out in BDSM communities in Quebec, as your circle expands, i.e., parties in the tri-state area. So I guess in in New York or whatever, you encounter judges, actors, and power brokers in the U.S. who seem to lead very normal lives. And if I look at the three of you who are intelligent, you have normal jobs, you work, you write, you, you, you have a a life, right? You've got other things that this is one part of that life, but it doesn't necessarily define who you are in your day-to-day life. To my opinion, this is the way it should be. If BDSM becomes your life, it becomes a problem. It has to be integrated. Yes. So that, you know, you're you're still paying your bills and buying groceries and, you know. Going to having, work. And going to work and then going to a dungeon party. You know, it, it's, it all has to be balanced to be healthy. Right. And, and, okay, so then it comes back to that psychiatric thing. Mm-hmm. When any sexual behavior takes over your life. Bad. That's where it becomes unhealthy when it impin- when it stops you from having relationships when it when it prevents you from having being able to work or go to school when it becomes obsessive to the point of not being able to function in other ways then we call it a mental illness but and that could be any kind of sexual activity and and we would probably fit that under sexual compulsive disorders that can be acted out in a multitude of ways, whether it's voyeurism, exhibitionism, which can be practiced 
consensually, but this is where it can get into the non-consensual stuff or, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways, right, uh, of expression. Yep. All right. How, here's a, a very interesting question. Uh, how does, and I don't know if you can answer it, but how does BDSM practice differ between religion or culture? Is it accepted more among Western Soviet than other Eastern or Middle Eastern, for example? So I don't know how much information you have about the cultural differences, but you can certainly share with us who are the visitors to your site, BDSM Circle. Well, and who writes us? And and who writes me as a, a female uh, dom, and for a while, uh, I was getting a lot, a lot of Muslim and um, Middle Eastern and Middle Eastern men, and I think it was because in the culture, uh, the woman is typically in the more submissive uh, role, and um, so it was. Uh, you know, it's almost like a, a special taboo or, you know. It was so, from men. Yes. Men who wanted to yes. be submissive. And we did uh, write back and forth uh, for a while with um, a couple of uh, Muslim uh, women. Mm-hmm. And they do have a different view on it because their society um, tends to be in where women are already in more of a submissive right. role. Right. What we didn't see was a lot of uh, female Muslim dominatrixes. No, we haven't. That's, I don't think I've ever met one. I'm, I'm sure they exist. Don't get me wrong if you're out there. Right. Actually, if you're out there, call in because that'd be neato. Right. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's typically in, in some cultures, there's already um, a more pronounced um, kind of hierarchy or etiquette of authority than there are in, in our culture where it's like everybody's kind of like you know, on the same level, we don't have castes. Mm-hmm. We don't have, you know, um, there is, of course, uh, different levels, but it's usually economic, right? You know, whereas in there, there's in religious, there's different levels. So it's it gets it gets kind of a little more complicated, but it's it's still done. I think quite a bit. It's just done, uh, you know, behind more closed Very doors. Closed doors. And know? I think uh, we've talked over the years about the uh the people who come to you and you have told me you've had e- every religious community absolutely and you know we we regularly uh talk with um in actually with more than one religion uh you know be it a rabbi or a a, a reverend mm-hmm. or a pastor we we've speaking we've spoken to them at length because they'll actually their parishioners or their their flock or however you want to call it have come to them and talked to them about it. So they've talked to us. So there's some really interesting, you know, traumas like, you know, sometimes within a marriage, this, this can help save a marriage. If, if you're not, you know, sexually compatible with just plain vanilla and suddenly you put BDSM into it and it can make all the world of difference. And if it can also have the opposite effect. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are Christian groups that are BDSM. Really? Absolutely. There's there's quite a few. There's quite a few. Discussion group called Christian BDSM group. Actually, yes. There's a few, and and um, most of them that I know of are in the southern states. That's where they usually. uh, That's where we usually find the the states that 
are the most repressed is where we end up finding yes. often uh, some of the yes. more extreme behaviors, which is interesting. But again, uh, it crosses religion, it crosses culture, and it crosses uh, socioeconomic status, Absolutely. professions, as this text wrote, judges, actors, power brokers. And by the know. way, there's lots of actors and people in the media. Oh, you'd be so surprised. And I'm not looking You're at not Dr. Lori when I say yeah, that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not outing anybody. And there's nothing to out there anyways, no right. offense. But uh, you'd be amazed at how many people that are of a high profile, they just don't go to the public dungeons. Uh, we'll talk about how to create your own non-dungeon, uh, like how to engage in BDSM if you want to at home without having to create this whole big Fifty Shades uh, dungeon with my panel, my BDSM panel tonight here. We strip away the stigmas every night with passion on CJAD 800. Last couple of minutes left here with my kink panel. Uh, we've got uh, Dane Stewart, uh, playwright, and also he runs the uh, pup play uh, community group called Woof MTL. We have Pierre and Catherine of BDSM Circle. Okay, last question for you guys this evening. When we think of, oftentimes, when we think of uh, bondage, uh, sadomasochism, all of that, our minds as just the the population here think of Fifty Shades of Grey uh -huh. and the and the dungeon that was in Fifty Shades of Grey, right? That's what we think of because we don't have exposure to it. We don't have many of us do not have access to people who will talk about it with us in our everyday. Okay, we except for me because I get to interview people, which is great. But but most of us don't. So that's our thought right away when we think of that. But then we look at the the studies that show how many people are actually interested in it and how many people practice it. For sure, no, not everyone has a dungeon. You don't need a dungeon. Okay. So that's where I want to go with that now. So if people, uh, you don't need a dungeon. What do you need? Okay. To start, and I'm going to quote Catherine, the dungeon. Why don't you just let her talk then? Well, <laughs> She's right there. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll say to start. Uh, you know what? You need the right <laughs> attitude. You need to both get in the moment, and it, a lot of it's <laughs> mental. Okay. Okay. So the mental. So it's the ambiance. So it's it's you know candlelight and a little bit of outfits, which you can you know some fishnet stockings and a little corset thing, and oh, you're off to a great start. Well, get a lot a of people do that anyway. Get a little oh, yes. the collar part, maybe not. You get a little okay. collar. You know, have a have a you know. Get a wooden hairbrush. Use the back of it. You know, there's lots. So of, lots of stuff in the house. Lots you, you don't of have stuff in the house. Stuff. Go to a dollar store. Hey, and Renault Depot is your friend. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to know. I'm sure there's plenty of YouTube videos out there, there now sure that tell you how to make things or Absolutely. build build things uh, safely. I would imagine. Yes, and and but I mean, often what people are going to do, they're going to have a secret. Uh, chest or yes. a closet yes. somewhere where they're going to hide all their their toys. One of our friend had a, a closet where he would roll this uh, hanger thing where he would suspend all of the the fetish clothing and all their toys. But when it was not in use, he would just put it in the closet, 
lock the damn thing. Right, right. Yeah, you don't when, want your kids uh, rummaging yeah, through your closet yeah, and, either. And mm-hmm. from time to time, the kid would go to grandma, so he would roll out the thing, and <laughs> it would just, you know. And it was yeah. great. He showed, he showed this to us, and we just went, wow, that... It's like a dungeon in a bag. It's it a was. Dungeon, it was. In a bag. It was. I mean, there was no dungeon there, but they could transform one of their rooms easily in something. Right. Uh, it, it, in their case, it was the basement, so they had ring, and the ring was for hanging clothing. <clears throat> right. Not you really. Know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's but the thing. They is... took out their swing and, you know, clipped <laughs> it on. It. Right. Now, I I attended your play, Dane, The History of Sexuality, which I thought was phenomenal. It was great. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot about pop play. And there were, co- like, costumes and mm, face masks and things like that. Like, how often, like, is that used in in, in that kind of role play? It's uh, it's fairly common. So a, a big element for a lot of people who practice pop play is the, the gear, uh, as we call it. Um, and if, I mean, if you Google pup play, you might find some interesting things. Don't do it at work. Um, right. No. <laughs> images of these, uh, pup hoods that people can get. They're made out of leather. They might be made out of neoprene. Okay. Um, and they sort of give you, you pull them over your head and it gives you sort of the appearance of a dog. Um, and there are a couple stores that sell them here in, in Montreal, okay. uh, men's room by Armada, uh, Mr. Bear right here in the, the gay village. Um, but they they really aren't ne- like no gear is necessary to do pup play. We say it's a it's about the headspace. It's about actually uh, just engaging in the play. Uh, and for people who are you know trying to get into it and feel like they need the dungeon, like you d- you absolutely don't. You can go to a pet store. I'm dead serious. You'll save so much money doing this. <laughs> go to a pet store, buy a collar for a big dog. Buy a collar for a big dog. Big necks. Wink at the cashier. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? He works at a pet store, so uh-huh. um, <laughs> get a leash, and uh, like that's a that that can be enough for your first experience. And I mean, like I I'm in my 20s, so it's I don't have like a lot of. <laughs> like access to to dungeon spaces um so it's about having fun it's about experimenting and being creative like i remember some of my first one of my first bdsm experiences i i went to someone's house and the uh, the first thing he told me to do was just strip down and sweep his floor i just had to do chores in his house and it Catherine was, makes people do that i sure do <laughs> it's so it can be so stimulating. I have to watch my language on the radio. Yes, but, you do. <laughs> um, uh, again, it comes back to that service-oriented, that power exchange. Like, there's so much you can do outside of a dungeon. You make it more interesting if you put some uh, shackle on that person, and they have to drag a chain or a nice fifty-foot chain around the house. Okay, yeah. now you're now you're like that's extreme for me. Like that would be I can I get the the things around the house that you could use and people can use. Uh, t- so you, you know, her deep ties. You chain. But okay, if not, that's what that you extreme. want. You know, What's extreme is, not, is when you tell you them. See, it's that, not that extreme to you, no. but to, uh, to some of us listening, that could be very extreme. But that's—I'll tell you—it's a lot more fun to have a, uh, you know, a, a shackle dragging around a shackle sweeping the floor. Right, it it puts helps put them in the headspace. It's not that expensive. You it's, know, we all have our ideas of fun, and I I totally respect yours. But I love when I hear, "Oh, it could be a lot of fun," and I'm thinking that doesn't sound like fun to me. But no, no, what's this fun? is why we're all different. Well, you what? see, it's fun for me to have somebody else do it. Yeah, but the one way. doing it, they're I, they're loving it. I'm telling they're you, it because we always make it. In a way that it becomes sexual because they're dressed in a certain way or we're... Uh, it's 
we're playing the game. I mean, I mean the, the, the example about the, the submissive with the chain is the fun part is when you tell them that they cannot make noises because you're trying to do something and you don't want to hear the chain. I mean, you're going to see amazing. You know, this, is where, this is where I end with <laughs> to each his own. Like, seriously, to each his own. What Whatever floats your boat and we shouldn't yuck other people's yums. Basically, and even though they may not be ours, right? It's yucky to us, it's yummy to them, and that's okay. So, no judgment here, <laughs> as long as it's done safely, as we always say, safe and sane. consensual. And safe, sane, sane and, and consensual. Uh, Dane, where can people find you? If they want to know about pup stuff. Uh, so, you can find uh, Montreal's group for human pups on facebook we're woof mtl um you can also find my work uh as an artist on my website talkingdogproductions.ca wonderful and pierre and Catherine are always available at bdsmcircle.com you can email them with questions and uh, and all of that uh thanks thanks guys for being here always appreciated Thank uh you. thanks to uh dave simon our technical producer and thanks to all of you for spending your hour uh, with us or any part of the hour with us. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or my website, drlori.com. You can send me emails throughout the week. Happy to answer them at the beginning of every show, uh, Lori at drlori.com or feel free to text in. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.